You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 56, and I'm Brandon. And I'm Allison. So before we talk about anything else, I want to make sure to mention Zymology Camp, the five-session class that I taught a couple in, and I was attending the other ones and kind of just helping out, and it was a thing put on by Slow Food Madison. It was a great program. And I really liked the setup of it. Like I kind of talked about before of being five sessions. Most of the people were in all five of the sessions and they were able to ask questions throughout the process. And I took a microphone to the last session. So here's a a bit of the response. You usually go to the supermarket and buy stuff. Instead, you grow food from scratch uh, and then you can have fun with it. So I like made cake with uh, yogurt and sourdough and I'm still thinking about what I can do with the cordito. I just really like using all of the products together. Makes for such delicious and very nutritious meals. I enjoyed the course a lot. What I got that was most important about the course was that we could leave the class at night and be successful at fermenting. I've taken classes before in making sourdough and I've made a lot of bowling balls. But since I took this class, I went home. I made the loaf that we made in class. It was fantastic. I made a loaf with the sourdough starter that was supplied to me and it was fantastic. And I made two loaves with my own starter that was born last October and they were fantastic. So I'm looking forward to next year's camp. Yeah, so I'm really glad. It seemed like people had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun, and I it's supposed to be the first annual Zymology Camp, so there should be one next year here in Madison. So Oh, great. I'm glad that you guys are doing it again. Yeah, that's that's the plan, so it should uh, hopefully work out that way. And speaking of a, a, more things going on as well, I can't forget to mention also, in if anyone is in the Chicago area, this next weekend uh, will be Saturday, March 15th is a whole day good food festival in the Chicago area at the UIC Forum. And I'll be there doing a couple short little sessions on heirloom yogurts, one on kimchi, and it's going to kind of go on like kimchi basics and then improvising some kimchi as well as talking about, you know, amazing things like kimchi pizza. And then the larger thing that I'll be doing with the Nasala, the local kombucha in Madison, we're actually both going to be doing a workshop down there on kombucha and fermented soda. So it should be a lot of fun. So if anyone is in the area or close enough to the area, then uh, definitely check out the Good Food Festival. Yeah, I'm really jealous. I was looking at that website the other day and it looks like there's going to be a lot of really cool seminars and um, interesting people that know a lot about fermented foods and you know just the whole community coming together update us next week i definitely will and i'd say like just just get people excited about the fermentation aspects of things sander cats was there last year and bef- the year before that there wasn't as much fermentation there was some but not as much sander cats was there there was more but then i feel like this year like in his wake it's like there's no headliner fermentation. Well, there's actually one of them is beer fermentation for one of the master classes, so that's something. But in general, there's not a Sander Katz speaking about fermentation, but good food and fermentation go together. So definitely go and uh, stop by and say hi. So uh, I have to ask you, how's your bread? My bread. What bread are you talking about? Oh, I knew it. The uh, bread for the uh, the apple bread. Oh, no, I'm making that tomorrow. I, I promise. Um. Because I haven't told you about my oven that it doesn't work um, at our new place. Um, But we had like the electrician and the gas guy come out and he turned it on for me. I think the pilot light was out or something. I don't really know. But he said it's working now Um, because I went through. I was so mad. Like I got up one Saturday morning and 
I was going to make not something fermented, but I was going to make like, you know, Kentucky style biscuits, just biscuits, nothing fancy um, for breakfast. And I made them and I, you know, I got all the flour out and the baking soda and all that kind of stuff. And I had turned on the oven um, and, you know, it took me like 20 some minutes to make the biscuits with, you know, all of the ingredients and all of this stuff because we're still kind of moving to find like bowls and all of that. When I opened the oven, it didn't turn on. It hadn't turned on. It was, it's a gas oven. So I didn't even smell it. I didn't hear it. And I was so mad and I don't even, it, it just didn't work. So if it was a pilot light thing, wouldn't the gas be coming at you or was it just not even working at all? Um, I mean, it wasn't working at, you, at all. Like... Well, see, I was trying to troubleshoot like what happened because our cooktop is attached to the, to the oven and it's a gas cooktop um, and it's a gas stove or a gas oven. Um, so even when I turned on the oven, I didn't even smell any gas at all. So it made me think that maybe there are, and this could, I could be totally wrong. I don't know how those types of electricity things or gas things work, but I was thinking that there had to have been a separate pilot light for the oven versus the cooktop. Um, well, the cooktop, as far as I know, is you would be igniting that when you turn it on, right? Yeah. Yeah. You turn it on to the light portion and there's little, um, usually it's, um, like an electrical plug. You still have to have some electricity if it's a newer, um, gas cooktop to plug into the wall to get the starter to spark. And then when you turn the gas on to the light, it creates the spark, the starter to spark, and then it puts the, turns the gas on. And that's what it is on the the, the top. But what about modern pilot lights? Because Because I've got gas too, but I, do modern ovens have pilot lights in the same way? See, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. I was going to look into it and kind of investigate it um, and try to figure it out. Um, but, and I told my husband that it wasn't working. And so I had to, I cooked my biscuits on like the cooktop and the skillet and they just weren't as good, um, but it worked okay. And um, we were so busy this week that we didn't have time to play around with the oven or sit down and figure it out. Um, but when the, when the gas guy came today or no, I'm sorry, this morning, even before the gas guy came, my husband was playing around with it and he looked, he'd like turn the knob and he goes, Oh, Allison, it's on, it's been on this whole time. (laughs) So maybe I did something and it, I don't know, but I've just been kind of avoiding it because it's just something that I haven't really been wanting to mess around with, um, all week. So no, I have not made the country bread. But I'm doing it tomorrow now that my oven works. You're starting it tomorrow or you're starting it tonight to let it retard in the base, in the refrigerator? Um, maybe I'm going to start the whole thing tomorrow and then do it on Wednesday. Cook, bake it on Wednesday. Okay. At some point, I mean, I know it's going to take two full days, two, two quote unquote full days to do. Um, but I... I don't know if I get time tonight, I'll, I'll start it. And if we have everything, cause I know I had some specialty ingredients that we usually don't keep around the house. Um, the two ingredients so. being sparkling apple cider and a granny Smith apple. Yeah. Oh, I, I do have a granny Smith apple. Maybe tonight I'll run out to the store and buy some sparkling cider. Cause I did buy some apples this morning. Do you know why I meant to look this up? And I guess when we follow up and you actually make your bread, we'll be able to 
to talk about it more too, but what is the sparkling aspect for? Does that alter the flower? The, like the, why would carbonation being added at the beginning? Wouldn't that just be kneaded right out as soon as it's added? I mean, is there any reason for it beyond just being fancy? You know, I thought the same thing when I saw that it said specifically said sparkling apple cider. Um, Cause you're right. It would, the CO2 that's in the cider would go. I mean, after the first need, it would be gone. Um, but maybe some of it stays in there. I don't, I don't know. And then that helps it rise more. Um, just like, with the yeast that you're using helps it rise a little more when, when you add yeast to, to fermented bread. Um, I don't know. Did you make the bread? I'm working on it. You're working on it. So yes or no. It was going to be made just in time for the show or for our recording uh-huh. so that because I just had a feeling that you probably didn't have yours done, but I then kind of felt behind and, and miscalculated some timing. You know, when, when there's like a few hours in between steps, sometimes I get a little behind and, and forget, or like, you know, if I add an extra hour to each step, then, then I'm just way overshot on time. So I, I have it ready to go, but I think I'm going to have to let it retard some more in the refrigerator. I'm just, just going to have to put it back in tonight because it's already getting late and I'm going to have to just do it, uh, do it in the morning after he gets back up to room temperature and hopefully it will still be okay because it has been going for, well, I guess it's only, it's been a little over, well, it's been closer to like 36 hours now and I'm doing it with a sourdough starter. So it's not really that, um, that absurd at all because it, no. it, it spent part of that time in the refrigerator, but it, it spent a lot more time out at room temperature than the recipe, the way that you're following it is. But otherwise I followed everything Except I also doubled it just because I can't put one loaf in the oven. Maybe it's because something to do with being uh, more outside of the city, being on propane and, and using a gas oven, just something about, well, why don't I just be more efficient and put two in there? It doesn't really change the dynamics too much of the, the, the baking process. So that way I can have two loaves and we eat enough bread in this household that it's not really an issue of, of eating it. And then I don't have to, to make bread as often either. I, I see nothing wrong with that. To me, that makes sense. We, whenever I make bread, I usually try to make two loaves because if you're already same reasoning, if you're already using the gas, uh, and you're already doing the manpower, you might as well do two loaves instead of one. Especially if I'm following the guidelines of really letting an oven preheat, you know, because it's like supposed to be at, at least 45 minutes, but an hour and a half is great to really get stones or, or cast iron that I cook in really nice and warm, get the oven really nice and warm so that it's, it's just, it's not going to lose heat as soon as the door's opened and, and the bread's put in, but it's just, it's so hard because it just feels like such a waste of, of, of resources of, of energy. But at the same time, I don't honestly know how much is used up. Although I will say that I generally only need to fill the propane tank once a year. Uh, for, I guess for any, for probably most people that don't use propane, it's, you know, that it, they just come out and fill it up. And so generally it's just once a year that I have to do it since gas for water heater and for oven is pretty much all it's for because I heat with wood during the winter and 
had enough wood for this whole winter, still have some extra. So it seems like I'm going to make it without having to get more wood. But, but for the propane, I do usually do it once a, once a year, but it's much lower than it was is generally because of all the cooking that I did for the the cookbook, the, the cooking and baking. So I have noticed that using the oven a lot more regularly definitely makes it go down a lot faster. It's, 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 it's different. Like when it's, when I'm paying attention to a percentage meter, as opposed to just a bill, it's like, oh, my bill was a few more dollars this year versus, or this month, as opposed to like, I'm going to have to fill up the tank sooner. How do you know when your tank's almost empty? Do you have, I, we used to have a propane tank when I lived in Indiana growing up, but you know, as an adult, I don't really, when you're a kid, you don't really pay attention to it. But as an adult, we, we get our gas from the the electric slash gas company here in town. So we just get a bill tells us how much gas we use and it keeps track of it every month. But, um, you know, there's never, it's never like you turn it on and then you're like, Oh, well, minus the fact that my oven wasn't working, but it's not like, well, gas is out. Don't know what to do. We have no more gas. No, actually, that is actually a very bad thing to let happen because that can be dangerous, I guess. At least that's yeah. what the warnings in the pamphlets that I get yearly, making sure to warn residents that don't allow your propane to go out or run out. And most people that use their propane for heating will be on a, a service where they're on a regular schedule. So the truck comes out whenever I'm just will call. So I just call whenever I need it. And generally it's about 40% a year later. And so then, and I don't even know exactly how that works because it doesn't seem like they fill it up completely, but it's, it's pressurized. So that's, it's a, it's a pressure gauge that I can go flip up the, the lid on and, and see the pressure gauge for, which in the summer, luckily I don't have to fill it more than once because in the summer that's wasps really like to get under there. So that's fun to check, but I, again, don't check it, but I've had to check it and it's at 30% already. And generally I wouldn't be filling it up until the summer. So I don't know if I'm going to have to fill it up because I'd much rather wait just because given that I only have to fill up once a year, I'm also, it's less expensive to fill it up at a time when less propane is being used. Like here in the mid, in Wisconsin, propane's a lot, I mean, I'm guessing other places too, but in the winter when people need a lot of propane, it's a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, spring is upon us and hopefully there's no 55 more. 55 degrees today. Oh, yeah. Maybe, hopefully, I'm going to cross my fingers for you that it stays relatively warm and not you guys don't have another snowstorm or blizzard or anything like that so that you don't have to. But you're using your propane for mostly cooking. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, yeah, I don't, I, uh, the answer to your question is I really don't know besides paying attention to the pressure gauge, but I really also don't know how quickly it goes down Um, or, or if it changes, if outside, no, probably not. Outside atmosphere or the outside temperatures probably wouldn't affect the gauge. No, it will be because it's probably the thing that you have. It's like a really long tube that's outside your house somewhere. Tube. I mean, that, um, like a like a like a capsule. I don't really know how to. Yeah, I don't really know how to describe it's it. Like it a pill like, capsule. Yeah, it looks like a giant pill. And ours um, is green, so a giant green pill. Some people kind of paint them up so they look all. You should paint yours. No, ours, you ours, it... ours was is from the the cooperative that it comes from, and theirs are all green. They... Oh, so you can't. So some people maybe this is because they own them. Yeah. I don't know, but people paint them like 
they look to look like corn cobs and all kinds of weird pigs. I've seen pigs before. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I don't <laughs> you can do that. You could do some sort of like fermentation related. Um, you can make it. Well, you could, I was going to say you can make it like cheese, but that would just be painting it like a different color. Um, you could do like a sausage. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know why that didn't come to me. The only thing I could think of is like a probiotic pill. Do they even come in capsules or are they like tablets? I think they, those mostly come in tablets. Oh, okay. So that I think wouldn't you could even get work. them in probiotic pills. But of course, sausages. Yes, it lo- totally looks like a pepperoni or something. Yeah, you could paint it red and then like sponge paint it white kind of so that it has like those little fat globules that, you know, sausage has and stuff like that. Yeah, anyway, but I feel like it needs to be sliced. Oh, I well, I don't know if you can add things on safety wise, I'm assuming probably, but I could sculpt on a little extra to it and make one side flat so that it's like a and and make a giant knife that's slicing into the flat edge there. So it's like a, and then have the slices of it off to the side. So oh, it's an extended really sausage awesome. um, yeah. because people would be actually be able to stay, I'm like right near a ski and snowboarding and uh, people would be able to see it maybe at the top of the hill. Yeah. And you can get like um, a big piece of wood and paint it kind of the same way as the rest of your sausage. So you can have like slices laying on the ground kind of maybe. That's, yes. That's exactly what, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're on the same page there. So that I would have to probably own the propane tank for. So, but, um, yeah. I don't really know. I guess I've never even considered that because it was rented when we moved in. And so we've just always kept it that way because it doesn't change anything for us. I don't think, I mean, I'm, I don't know questions. It's interesting, but speaking of sausage, have, are you still planning? Because I know you had talked at one point about planning that that was going to be something you're going to do this summer now that you're moving and getting everything. Like, is that still in the picture at this point? Still in the picture. Um, mostly just need to do some research and figure out um, what I need equipment wise, um, which I don't think is that much, but just to make, I mean, doing fermented meats is, it's a little more, um, you're more at a risk um, just for, because of different types of uh, bacteria that can grow and stuff. So I just really want to do my research before I, before I, you know, dive in head first. It is one where, yes, the, the, the likelihood of something happening is probably still pretty low, but the risk is much greater that, yes, a person could kill themselves if they didn't mm-hmm. do something right. Whereas the rest of the fermentation, it's like vegetables, no issue whatsoever. Dairy, yeah, you may get sick or something like that. But like, I mean, it, getting into cheeses or whatnot, that could be more dangerous potentially, but nothing quite like meat. I mean, isn't yeah. botulism, doesn't that come from meat? Isn't that where that der- derives from the botul? referring to pork or something like that? I think so. I think the word is derived or like the word botulism is derived from meat, some somehow related to meat. Um, and I think the other thing that you really need a good place for is um, some place to store it. Um, just because not that it smells because it shouldn't really smell that bad after it's been cured and it's fermenting and that sort of thing. But we don't really have a good space right now. Um, to do it because I was reading an article. I was reading an article today about how to make, um, it wasn't fermented sausage, but it was a type of sausage that you, it's cured meat. Um, that's really popular in, um, the South of France, um, using like pork tenderloins and it's looked really easy. Um, you buy your pork tenderloins and you kind of cut them, um, in half and then you put them in a, 
you you enrobe them or you cover them in salt and then you wrap them into in cloth and um, hang them in um, a really ventilated space. Um, and as of right now, we don't really have a good ventilated space. Um, hopefully when our garage slash office is complete, we'll have more room. And um, there is a little space in the works back there for me to kind of have like my little fermentation space, which would be really great because then um, I can just throw all that stuff back there and keep a better eye on it instead of um, doing it in, inside the house or outside in the sun. Yeah, I wonder, like I know that some people do like for the 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 incubation space so that they can control the temperature just in like a old refrigerator and then have computer fans even sometimes just pushing the air through to keep the circulation if that's what you need for the specific sausage. That would yeah, work. and yeah, that's what I've thought of. And we also have a really old smoker um, that looks like a dorm fridge. Um, that I was when I was reading this article, I was like, man, that would be a really good thing to have to use it for. Um, but the thing is, I need to find it because I don't really know where it is at the moment. And um, I kind of want to because I can set the temperature on that. It's um, we just try not to leave it in and set at the temperature um, when we're not home because it is kind of old. Um, so we're a little leery about that. So maybe if I can find a really good spot for it and test it um, and leave it on overnight um, and the house doesn't catch on fire, then maybe I'm good to go. But I think that, again, it's just going to be a few trials and error before I actually, actually do it. Do you know what, besides this French thing that may be interesting, do you know what kind of fermented meat you'd like to make? No, that's the other thing. I kind of want to figure out what, 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 what kind I want to make. I don't know. Haven't figured it out. Because I learned actually, it clarified a lot of things for me at this last Zymology camp episode, or not episode, but last camp day. And because had our our last speaker spend an hour just kind of going over the basics of sausage making uh, from the underground food collective but this is specific. They have some subsets. This is underground meats. Great uh, talk clarifying for me, a lot of things about, okay, what's, what's fermented, what's safer to do at home. And what are the challenges of doing some of the things that I would actually like to do? Like I want to make a slow cured. I want to make some hard salami. I want to make some pepperoni. I want to do those kind of things. Whereas that's not necessarily the thing that he recommends doing first or even the challenge of it is having a moisture meter. I don't think that's the proper term. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like to be able to measure the, the, the moisture inside of the meat. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Is that it's the right, like a, is a moisture meter? Uh, we can call it. I don't remember what it's called. It's like a really long word, but it's like a probe that you would stick into the, the meat itself. And it would, it has like a digital reading. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, which the one that, I mean, I don't know if I can find a cheaper one. I haven't really looked into it too much, but given that moisture is very important, the, the moisture level is important for these extra dry sausages. Like if I want to do some, some salami, I mean, that's something I need to get to a certain level in order for it to be edible and safe. I could kind of wing it and try otherwise, but the one thing I really have to get before I could do it uh, is the, is the pH meter. 
Yeah, and we talked about that, and you're still you're still looking for a good one. Although I did get a recommendation, which I do not remember which one it was, but um, for one that's about two hundred and fifty dollars, which again is in that ballpark of where you had talked about not having experienced any that were good under two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So, but two hundred and fifty seems reasonable. It's just I think for me, meat fermentation is something that I really want to do. But the only ones that I'm really interested in doing are the ones that are, I guess, the riskiest for someone starting out to try. And yeah, so, and that's the other thing is like I I want to do some I want to do some research too, just the way like what you said, just because it is a whole different ball game. It's not it's not scary in a way, but you want to do it right, and you it's a learning curve too. Like you can't start out and expect to do the really hard meat fermentations without doing some of the easier ones first and kind of easing your way into it. And that's kind of the challenge for me because it's kind of like I would say it's kind of synonymous uh, to computer programming. I've always been interested in computer programming. I always kind of like, like I can piece things together, but I can't, I've never taken the full on time. And I've even started to take time throughout the years of, of learning different programming languages or at least starting the process of it. But for me, the thing is, is I'm not really that interested in the beginning stages those don't interest me as much as the things that I could do once I understand more. So it's the building blocks for certain things. And when there's building blocks like that, where I can't just dive right in, it's a little bit more of a, of a turnoff for me, I find, because with anything else fermentation, it's like, I can dive in and try anything. And, and sure. I mean, I, I have the issue sometimes of trying to cut corners with cheese in the past. And I've, had to deal with the consequences of spending a lot of time on cheese and then having something that's not edible at the end. But I at least understand what I'm doing and I understand what I'm looking for. And I can see obviously if something was horribly wrong, whereas with, with meat, I could easily misinterpret something. And for me also with meat, uh, the ones that are, that, that were recommended were the sausages that are going to be cooked or that are smoked. So fermentation and smoking or cooking. I mean, then it's really kind of hard to, it may not work perfectly if a person doesn't follow directions, but at least then it's safe. Yeah. So doing a summer sausage, totally safe. I mean, should be relatively safe. Right. Yeah. So I think it's just going to take some time still and some research to kind of ease my way into it and just play around a little bit with it and try to find what works best for me. So, um, it's still on my list of things to do. Um, I have some other, I guess, pending things that I have to do, like uh, make some bread tomorrow. So um, that comes as a priority. And then um, I have, I I still am, um, I guess, making kefir and all that kind of stuff. But now that I have more space, again, I'm going to start to do some more fermentations at home um, just because we have more space, more places, I guess, to hide stuff when they're fermenting than before. So, um, meat fermentation, that's like something to do maybe in May. Okay. Well, we'll follow up in May. Yeah. We only have a, what, a couple months, two, three months. Yeah. It's the middle of March now. Oh, maybe I, maybe I don't want to say that and have it, have, have it's, it. It's recorded now. It's recorded now. Okay. We expect uh, some follow up. Okay. I will follow up with that. Um, are you doing any other kind of fermentation right now? At your house, anything good besides the bread that the bread, uh, the bread is looking good. Oh, I, the one thing with the bread I would say is to, I'll have the recipe in the show notes as well. And again, we'll have the recipe in the show notes after we've tried the bread. So you may, if you 
if anyone wants to try it, you might want to wait until we try it unless it looks really good to you and you know, you'd like it because I still don't know if I'm going to like it. And, um, but we'll have both the original recipe and the alterations that I've made doubling it, changing from sourdough, which changed some of the liquid. I had to adjust some things. So it's like nothing was adjusted. The essence of the recipe was identical. Just changing it to sourdough shifts some things around. So we'll, mm-hmm. but I'll, so I'll have the adjusted recipe as well, but so maybe follow up with that at that point. But the one thing I would say is to make sure you dice up or almost, I would say even kind of almost mince up the apples. Okay. I'll that's have a to good look, recommendation. look back at the recipe to see what size because I thought it said chopped. I could be wrong. Um, and I think it said chopped too. And even in my idea of when it said, um, you know, one Granny Smith apple was chopped, not in huge chunks, but um, not not minced, not really small, tiny pieces. And Enough I, that when you bit into it that you would still get a little bit of an apple, like a softened apple. Well, and maybe that will be best. I mean, I guess I'll know because I'll have mine baked before because you – Spend it. It's not until the next day, the second day, that you add the apples anyway. So maybe I'll be able to follow. I'll let you know if it turns out not being that good at the chunks. It means I just have it chopped into little square chunks. But I was even thinking, well, I would like them a little bit smaller because I feel like it absorbs some more of the liquids from it because the the dough is a lot drier than I'm used to working with, and I just wanted to get some of that juice from the apples. But then the the chunks look really big in the rising loaves. They just, hmm. uh, the, the dough, they, the chunks like stick out in kind of like a morbid kind of weird way. <laughs> and so for myself, I think I would like it a little bit more minced for the outer look to it. And again, okay. maybe it will be different once it bakes. Yeah, so it might look different. Huh? Well, keep us posted on that. Cause I, well, I will follow again. I'm going to be a purist and just follow the recipe as is, but you know, I was thinking, because you asked the question about the sparkling cider, maybe I'll just go ahead and make a second, second batch, a second loaf, and just use regular cider, just regular cider, not carbonated cider, and see if there is a difference, maybe in the rise as- aspect of it. Since you're um, using regular, regular old instant yeast. Yeah. So I'm wondering, because I mean that is a good point. I thought about that when I read the recipe. Like, oh, that's interesting. The that they were asking for sparkling cider and not just regular cider because i understand why they're using it the cider the cider but not the sparkling part because again it would just be after you knead it once all of that co2 that's been saved or put into the cider is going to be expelled which has to be i think somehow beneficial or maybe maybe it has maybe it just gives a different characteristic taste because some you know cider sparkling cider tastes different than I don't just think it tastes that cider. much different. Not when it's like, not the non-alcoholic cider that's just pumped with, pressurized with spark. I mean, the, the, I feel like the tactile difference changes the flavor, but I, otherwise it just tastes like apple juice to me. Hmm. I think. I mean, when it's, when it's actually brewed cider, if it's even just mildly alcoholic, that tastes way different. And I think that tastes way better, but that's not what they were asking for. They were asking for like Mott's sparkling, which is just juice that's been pressurized like soda. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the, the first thing that I plan to look up is to see if there's any history with baking with mineral water. Uh, because I figure any kind of sparkling water would probably be more, 
less specific than a sparkling cider and there'd be more likely that it'd be prevalent if it actually does anything to the physics of the baking process. So that that's going to be my first key tunneling to see. Otherwise I don't really, really know besides it sounds fancy. Yeah. It just kind of sounds fancy to me. The country cider bread, apple with apples and um, gives you that whole like New York times feel just very sophisticated, um, which I'm, I'm not sure why they ask for sparkling cider versus just normal cider. Um, besides that sparkling cider is a little more expensive than normal cider. Yeah. And my, uh, the cider that my wife picked up because that's just not really cider sparkling cider. I mean, I don't know if there's a sparkling cider season or whatnot, but, um, I would think there would be more local versions. It could have just been the store she was at, but our sparkling cider came from Sonoma County, California. So it was like in a wine, like all looking all fancy in a wine bottle, but it's just sparkling, uh, not non-alcoholic sparkling, nothing special. I mean, we got plenty of apple trees around here, so I don't, I don't know. I just think it's because it's not really cider season. So we're baking this bread at the, at the wrong time, at least for this area, but um, um, same here. I mean, it's not apple season out here in California. It's the same as, as apple season is the same as, um, you know, in, in Wisconsin, late fall, if, oh, okay. if there's, or like, you know, in fall, but there's not really a lot of apples in Southern California, apple trees. There's, they're all up in Northern California or Oregon and Washington, I think. So, and they have more of like seasons, I guess, than we do down here in Southern California. Well, either way, we'll follow up on all the ciders and minerals and see about this once we, this never ending bread story of for this one recipe. Hopefully it's good at least because we spent so way too. so we much time talking about, about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you came up with it randomly. I don't, I mean, I, I've got nothing to do with it if it doesn't taste good. But uh, okay. besides the fact that I screwed, I'm messing with the recipe by changing it to sourdough. But, um, but yeah, like uh, with other things that I've been fermenting, I don't really have too much right now. I mean, there's just, just a lot of, a lot of yogurt going. My kefir was a little funky. So I, I'm resting into the refrigerator for a little while and going to take it back out and see if it comes back. Okay. It just kind of had like a little bit of pungency to it or kind of like weird sharpness to it. I mean, I didn't notice anything ill effects from the time I drank it, but then the the next day it still had that same kind of flavor so i've just kind of i'm letting it i'm letting it relax for a little while maybe i was pushing it too hard although i don't foresee that being the issue but it's it's taking a break so i'm not even doing too much kefir and i've i mean i've got uh i'm cauliflower kick is what i'm on oh yeah you've been for or maybe a few weeks ago you said that you maybe just had mentioned that you were that you like fermented cauliflower yeah. Um, and I, so I've got like four. Were you making it at the time or that was just like a random thought? And then you're like, oh, I want to make it now. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I actually was making it. And I think I was still enjoying some that was left over. And now I've just got four different kinds going. One with jalapeno, one with garlic, one with plain, one with Korean coarse red pepper. And those four are in half gallon jars. So I've got quite a bit once it's actually done. And I actually hadn't ever tasted cauliflower in the beginning stages. I've always let it go for weeks at a time in that first week or so. It's really not very good. Oh yeah. I didn't, I mean, I didn't like it. I mean, I, but I find that with certain things like Brussels sprouts. 
was it like a textural thing or smell thing or like what, well, what they made always, you they not always, like it? They always smell after being mm-hmm. opened. Um, that is just like throughout the whole process. It's like, wow. Um, but it's like, it's a, it's a bad smell and then like a good smell right after it, but it's still strong for, for that kind of almost sulfurish smell, but they don't taste like that at all. It's just, they don't, there's nothing exciting about it. It's kind of like cauliflower in general. Isn't really that exciting. I don't find just plain. Maybe some people love it, but for me, it's just not the most exciting vegetable all by itself cooked or fermented. It can taste great, but fermented for that first week, at least at winter temperatures, it's just, it was kind of, it wasn't very, it wasn't sour enough for one. It wasn't really sour. Very, it was like that a really in between. It was like an awkward teenager of a, or of a whatever it was that I was fermenting cauliflower oh oh poor cauliflower so I mean and it could have been because I think I tried the garlic one it may have been kind of a mixture of two of those things it wasn't quite sophisticated enough yet but it just turns into such a good flavor once it is done fermenting and I think I'm still going to let it go for a few more weeks because I I mean especially in the winter it can go easily six weeks and and before it's really good Mm mm-hmm hmm you're giving me all of these ideas now of things that I should be doing at my house. And thinking of ideas, that makes me think of like one of the few, well, I've actually have quite a few things that I would love to talk about with the news related things, but there's just some that I want to dive a little bit deeper into before we talk about them. So they won't be news anymore, but they'll be still interesting. Um, but in, if, but speaking of news at South by Southwest, the kind of tech creative industry convention or expo thing in Austin, Texas. That's just, I think wrapped up today or wrapped up yesterday or whatnot. Um, IBM's Watson supercomputer was cooking at the, at the festival and a food cart. Is this the same Watson that was on Jeopardy? The same Watson. So it's the supercomputer and, uh, it's been learning how to cook for the last few months. And I guess they've been feeding the, the, the group that's been working on this. They've been feeding it or well, no pun intended, but they've been giving it recipes and just thousands and thousands and thousands of recipes to teach it about how to make a recipe, how to combine ingredients and do different things like that. And so now they have it set up where they can choose a cuisine type and then choose their ingredients and they can throw in ingredients that aren't a part of that cuisine, but they still have to give Watson some kind of direction because it's Maybe a supercomputer, but it's not able to just totally come up with everything on its own, but it will give, it will spit out, out of like, say, give 10, according to what this video and articles that I've read, give it like 10 ingredients in a cuisine and it will spit out thousands of potential recipes, potential flavor combinations. And then it will rate those based on how it is, uh, how pleasurable the sensation will be like how pleasurable the ingredients will be, how likable they are in different like aroma and flavor and different things. And so definitely potential to make a lot more exotic or novel kinds of, of recipes and ingredient combinations, especially like give it a lot of recipe ingredient combinations. And then I mean, who knows how many ingredients it could throw together and make something really cool. And I kind of like this idea because I think it would be great to figure out some flavor, new flavor combinations for fermented vegetables. I just don't know if it could, if what, if that would blow Watson's mind. (laughs) It might. 
circuits, I guess. Um, or, or yeah, his logic sensor. board, motherboard. Yeah, motherboard. Um, no, that's really cool that they've taught Watson how to do that because usually, I mean, you would think, oh, a supercomputer. Um, he this you can just feed it lots of information, um, and it can go on Jeopardy, and you would expect it to win because it knows everything. But cooking and does he physically? Like actually cook? Or oh just... no, no, no! They they oh, okay. just they like, just oh, that's way too, that would be like um, the Jetsons. That's way too too much for my brain to handle. Yeah, Watson's a little perplexing to think about just because Watson is given such a name and it's like thought of as kind of a thing. But I don't even think Watson's the same supercomputer that he once was, as far as I understand. Like I I, I think he's shrunk down, but I could be wrong. At least supercomputers have shrunk down, so I don't think that he like, Watson's not quite like us as in like the same entity, but it's still the same thing. I don't actually know for sure, but he's making the recipes or the supercomputer is making the recipe potentials. And so then people are still deciding which ones they want, but it is just, I like, I'm fascinated because it goes on to what, like how, how likely is it to be perceived? Well, how novel is it? And so like, so all those kind of things, it's kind of intriguing because there's potential for different flavor combinations that a person wouldn't necessarily choose. Now, again, with thousands of recipes to choose from, there's still a lot of human error in there in deciding on the wrong recipe. Yeah. So you can't blame Watson because so he could potentially create the next umami or some other flavor that we've never even heard of before. I would think, but I would also wonder what kind of recipes he can really interpret and how, how extensive can he get with those kind of things? Is he taking in to consideration enzymatic changes that will happen or like, could he start to interpret the potential of microorganisms in the fermentation process and how they would interact? And I mean, maybe come up with, uh, I mean, you know, you, with all your mixing of, of isolated yeasts for for beers or whatnot i mean couldn't watson come up with something even more amazing than any human has maybe i mean it sounds like watson he could at least something novel i mean that's that's a huge thing in craft beer with what we've been talking about recently so maybe watson needs to start brewing that would be really cool i think well i don't know if a lot of people would think it's cool but i think that would be cool Hey, but, it's been popular um, at the, at, it was popular at South by Southwest. I uh, wish that I could have tried some of the things because it was all free samples that Watson was handing out or not Watson handing out, but, and, uh, and also people could suggest cuisines by tweeting to, uh, I don't know what the hashtag was, but it was, uh, kind of a nice little thing that had really nothing to do with fermentation, but it was food related and I could just see the potential with fermentation. Yeah. I mean, that would be that would be really cool if they could he could grasp on grasp the fermentation aspect of it because it is so complex. I mean, um, don't you think it's possible? I mean, isn't it possible to take into consideration all the potential flavor components that could be altering throughout the process and like feed out potential recipes that would just blow our minds that may even like take years of constant changes in totally different ways of doing different kinds of steps that have never been done before at specific times. And just, I just feel like we're limiting our potential by being so human. Well, yeah, I can, I think that he would have the foresight and if he knows everything about the science of cooking and just science in general, 
he would have the foresight to think like, oh, if I mix these two things together, then this enzymatic reaction will happen or this chemical reaction will happen. So I need to do this, whatever, you know, X, X, Y, Z steps to make it good or to prevent oxidation or also, you know, I'm thinking he would have the foresight to do that. So maybe there'd be less trial and error in developing new flavors. So, but yet then maybe he would have to have like a, de- a de- definitive flavor that he's going for. Cause then, you know, part of food and mixing food together to come up with new flavors is like, you don't know what you're going to get. And that's half the fun. Plus the experiment is to see what you get. You know, does that make sense? It does. And and I think that's kind of the concept of, of Watson is the keys just coming up with a lot of different potential combinations and evaluating them algorithmically based on previous ratings of all of those other recipes that have been in, put into him. So, I mean, it definitely seems like he could process a lot more information. I also wonder if it would be a way to catch things that we don't understand about food science. Like if, if, if it's assumed that things are a certain way and then extensive fermentation processes go on or any kind of food production processes go on, wouldn't there be a point where possibly Watson makes a decision for how a recipe should be based on the information that was fed in, which was put there by humans and taking out of consideration data entry errors, but just in general scientific errors. As in things that, no, that's not exactly how that works when, when you have all these other factors because there's still so much to be understood, I would assume, right? Or is food science just beyond experimenting with combinations? Is it just that they just have it all figured out? Oh, no, they don't have it all figured out. Food scientists, just like in any other science, there's always things to figure out and um, different chemical reactions or biological reactions that we still don't really understand. But we know, I mean, p- food scientists have a gen- a better perhaps understanding of it because there's only so many different medias or mediums to play around with. But um, And that's what I'm saying. Watson can unlock. Give us more yeah. mediums. Give us more things. Not that we need more things. Food's amazing as it is. But still, what's the potential? I think that there's a lot of potential. And I, I think that's really cool that they're kind of har- harnessing that um, because it's, it, food is so complex. And again, like food scientists don't know everything and all of the flavor combinations of things that could happen and all of the chemical bonds that are there. And there are lots of chemical bonds that maybe they could develop an enzyme that can cleave a certain chemical bond that will create a new aroma or new flavor that we've never even discovered yet. And we have no idea. And I just thought of something else too. Maybe Watson could help us discover some not quite as cherished foods, like since so much of the food is all just these, if not monocrops, there's still just so many mega crops that are the things that much of the world are starting to eat. And so what if Watson could help us work with some more heirloom varieties of different things, or even just different wild edibles that may only taste mediocre but Watson has enough information to make them taste amazing. And so like unlock the potential of foods that not, not necessarily food combinations in the sense of novel things with the things we already use, but novel things, combinations using ingredients that aren't normally used. 
that's or, yeah or and even maybe harnessing the the areas that those foods are grown in you're talking about like um probably like aren't you're talking about referring to corn and how everything is like made out of corn there's that um, too yeah but if he could harness some local foods that are only grown in certain areas and figure out how to because some you know local foliage main or foliage not foliage but um berries and um what is what is the word i'm looking for it starts with an f when you go out into the forest and forage forage there you go when all of those foraging foods that kind of they taste good but they don't grow into a lot of varieties or very like plentiful or that sometimes they taste pretty bitter because they're just naturally there if he can somehow find a way to use what his knowledge to make them taste even better um locally does that make sense like it does yeah and that's the kind of stuff like i think watson or supercomputers or this kind of stuff that's the kind of thing that would be interesting to me now i could also see it going the other route of if this was really actually amazing which i don't know really i don't know how much of a concept this really is or if it's just more of a novel kind of thing to do and it's someone's pet project i don't know what ibm is really planning to do with this project but it would it's it's one of those things where i would lose interest if watson could fine tune everything and kind of just run like an incubation or like pretty much just do the whole thing that's when I would lose interest at some point because even though I like having control, well, to a certain extent, I not to the same extent as you, but I, I like to be able to control things and I like to learn from those controls, but I don't necessarily want to just sit back and have something else do it because then I lose the excitement. I mean, that's why I like to ferment my own foods and, and make my own foods is because there's, there's a certain thing in that learning process that if Watson or a other computer could do it all for me, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, I like that's the reason why I like fermenting and making my own foods at home and baking. It's because there's something about doing it yourself that just feels really great. And you, I mean, you're constantly learning um, from previous mistakes, or um, you're always experimenting, thinking, like, oh, if I add this spice, will it change the flavor of whatever it is you're making? Um, or will it not? Will it improve it or not improve it? Or is it just kind of neutral? So um, that's, I mean, even though Watson can do all of this stuff, I think that it's still a great benefit to kind of harness his knowledge and maybe he can come up with some really great flavors or interesting ways of changing how we cook and think. But it's still all us that would have to do it. I think that that would take away all the fun in cooking if a robot does it for us. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certain things like self-driving cars that I'm okay with computers doing something like that because I don't get really excited about driving a car, but other people probably do. And other people would probably love to have Jetson style cooking for them. Um, I think that we all have our, so, so that would be the interesting thing if, if in the future there are robots and artificial intelligence being able to create all these things for us, is that going to be like our thing? Like we'll each kind of have our hobby so that we still remain human and excited and not just leaning back and letting AI do everything for us. And like we, maybe some people don't have the kitchen or fermenting robot uh, and other people don't have the driving robot because you know, they really love cars. So we'll, we'll see, but, but I see it as more of, yeah, using it for the inspiration. It's awesome and exciting at at that point. And have you ever seen the movie moon? No, but 
Um, no, I haven't. I it's haven't an noticed. awesome, awesome movie. Uh, great to see about a person on the moon doing like little just solo guy on the moon. And it's just pretty much just him and a computer throughout the, the, um, the movie. Like that's the setting, how it starts. And so, um, it's Kevin Spacey as the computer voice. And I was just imagining it's like, it'd be interesting to have like an assistant in the kitchen. Like, like as I'm fermenting things, it's like, I can't do the voice or anything like that, but just, it's kind of like a monotone Kevin Spacey voice. Imagine that being like, no, Brandon, you did not enter that correctly. You need to uh, measure, remeasure that. And you know, like to catch my mistakes, but as long as he lets me make the mistake and then it's like, well, before you actually set the house on fire, how about you fix it? It's like kind of like more like a kid kind of thing. Yeah. I guess I thought of it more as like, um, have you seen the movie Wally? The animated cartoon that came out maybe of course. seven or eight years ago. That's what I'm thinking of. More of um like the the humans that are in um that are just really lazy and they're laying down in their um their recliners and everything is done for them. No, but, I so your your interpretation is a lot better than my interpretation of what's going on. I want interaction. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just don't foresee people really going that route. I think there's enough people that are, are so fascinated by just being able to learn things that I just don't foresee the majority. Well, I don't know. I guess maybe a lot of people aren't that excited about things too. And like, I guess thinking about like a, a mass society versus like individual, like there's plenty of subcultures that are like look at like maker communities, DIY type stuff or fermenters or different things. A lot of people want to get out there and get their hands dirty and learn. Even if it may be more logical or economical to just pay someone else to, or a company or a robot to do it for them. I mean, there's just so many people in my, through the lens that I see the world through that are just, that I just couldn't imagine it being something like Wally. I wish I could say the same thing from my end. I see a lot of people who just want the convenience and the ease of of cooking. So a lot of, I don't know if that's just where I live or a lot of not necessarily people that I'm around, but I just see that it's always like, let's just get up and put all of, let's throw this box. You just open it and you add a few things and you put it in the oven and it's done. So, so you see the I glass to- glass is half empty. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't see a half empty, but I think a lot of people that do. you you see a lot of people looking at half empty glasses. Yeah, I see a lot of people who just want to go for the convenience of it. I know that it's not like all the time like they but it's a lot easier to I just think of it as like um it's a lot easier to open a big tub full of cookie dough that's already made and you put it on a pan and then you say that it's homemade versus like actually going and getting the flour and like the sugar and you're measuring it and putting it into a bowl and all of that stuff. Like just the convenience of that. I think a lot of people fall, would fall into that category than the because a lot of people now and not and whenever I make something at home, it doesn't have to be something fermented. Like if I make homemade cookies again just to keep on with that example they're they're always like hey that's great these are the best cookies i've ever had but why do you do it you can just go buy cookies at the store that are even already made for you but they just said that they're the best cookies they've ever had that's why 
That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I, they, they're more willing to go to the store and have a mediocre product. Yeah. And just buy the cookies that are already made versus, or the big tub of like cookie dough that you just scoop out like certain, you know, like a, I don't even know how much I don't, I've never even bought in it. Like a big, I don't know, ice cream scoop bowl and put on a tray. I don't know. Um, and just do it that way. They come in tubs, like ice cream tubs. Yeah. I saw them at the, at the store the other day. They're just like these big tubs that like you just like scoop out. I don't, that I don't most know. people are probably just like they have their big tub and they're just eating the raw cookie dough, right? Oh, I mean, raw cookie dough is good, but not just like I just had a mental image of like someone sitting on the couch, just opening, cracking open the big tub of cookie dough and just eating straight out of the container. Well, you were talking about Wally. I mean, how do you think you get to that place? That's true. Yeah, you start with... there. Yep. At convenience and see, I mean, that's the one of the arguments for making things or food, especially if a person's, you know, trying to lose weight or something like that. You know, if I'm going to eat cookie dough, I've got to make the cookie dough first. I don't just have something in my freezer to just start munching on. So it's like, I at least have to go through the effort. So it really depends on if I actually want it or not. Uh, if I'm actually hungry for it or if it's just there and I can eat it. So I don't, I, I guess I see there's people of all sides and for myself, it's more down to like, I feel like I'm always trying to narrow down like why it is that I do these kind of things as opposed to not do them. But I guess whenever I come across something that I feel I can do better or at least do equivalent and learn in the process, I want to try it at least. And so something like, and my iPhone, I could not create as good of a product as I can purchase for an iPhone. I don't understand enough that goes into making it, let alone have access to enough equipment to manufacture it. Not that a person can't manufacture their own smartphone, but it will have its downsides or whatnot. And if it, it, maybe after years of learning and enough access to more expensive equipment, I could make a phone that would be okay. I still feel like I would be behind on where all these people that can specialize in the technology uh, and not every person even could make a phone. They can just do their part of it. Those are the kind of things that I'm okay going out and get it. But food is one of those things where it's really hard for me to just, uh, go out and get when I can see the path to making it. It's like, if I can see like, yes, this is how I do this. And so like for me right now, sausage, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see it's kind of foggy. It's a foggy path. I can't exactly like, I'm at like a fork in a road. It's like, do I make it myself or do I just go get it? And right now I value well-made sausage. Um, and I would love to make it myself, but at this point I can't make it as like the sausage in my mind at this point is still a lot like that iPhone. I still need some more expensive equipment. I still need to learn some more before I can get to that stage of being able to, to do it myself. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of people feel about, I mean, everyone has a hobby. Um, they may not realize it's a hobby. Um, you know, napping, if you nap a lot but you don't do any, that's a hobby because you like naps just as a weird example. Um, but people are, we talked, I think just earlier about this, um, you know, people, some people get a really big rush out of, uh, cars and certain types of cars and new models of cars and how cars work. And they like playing with cars. Um, to me, I have zero interest in that. I mean, as long as my car gets me from A to B 
and there's gas in it and the oil has changed. That's all I really know about how my car works. And I'm okay with that. But that same person who has like that, this car passion doesn't have, may not have the same passion as like learning how to make food on their own. So to them, store-bought cookies probably taste the same as cookies that were made at home, even if it's from the tub, or even if you got the sugar and the flour out and butter and all that stuff and you spent the time to make them. So I think everyone just kind of has their own little niche. Um, yeah. Like so. I, I have no taste in cars and other people don't have any taste in food. Yeah. I mean, which is all subjective. Yes, but it, it's, it's kind of one way to view it now, since we're kind of right towards the end and it's a little off like going down a tangent, but how does someone get excited about napping? Like, I mean, it's okay. It's one thing if someone likes to nap, but like a hobby of napping, like I could see it maybe if people have like their, their Fitbits and their smartphone apps that are tracking their sleeping and they're like researching stuff about sleeping patterns and trying to see about all this. And like, um, maybe they're even a little bit oxymoronic in the sense of they're, they're staying up late and getting less sleep because they're researching napping. But for the a person that just likes to nap, is that really a hobby? It could be. I mean, if that's the only thing they really do, I, I mean, a hobby is something that you, what's the definition of a hobby? Something that some, someone does. I, I generally think of a hobby as something that costs more than it would cost to just pay someone else to do, but it's the pleasure that's drawn from it makes it worthwhile. That's my definition of a hobby. Okay. So I guess whatever you define a hobby as, um, then you, that, I guess that napping would either fall into that category or not. So for me to fall into my category of it, it would have to be one of those things where who knows, maybe in the future people could pay a robot to sleep for them and they could stay awake longer. Like, I don't know how that would work. Like maybe not in the sense of like, maybe they'd still be sleeping, but they'd get connected into some kind of artificial intelligence and then they would be able to still be awake, but their body would be sleeping. And so Mm -hmm. they'd be awake in the artificial intelligent body or just in a virtual world or something like that. So like, instead of dreaming, why waste time dreaming? They can just spend time being awake, being productive, doing more of their, uh, doing more of their busy work while napping. Like that'd be a way to like turn napping into something. Whereas people that value napping, that napping was still a hobby to them, then it would be something where like, no, I'm not going to pay artificial intelligence to like strap in and connect in and do all those kind of things. I want my nap. I want to experience it for real. And that's kind of what would be synonymous with. I want to experience the cooking and the feel of it. Right. Am I, am I thinking in the same lines? No, you're thinking, you're thinking, I think in the right way. Um, I, I just know of a lot of people who really enjoy napping. Um, isn't, is napping one of your hobbies? No, I wish I had time. Well, it's not that I don't have time to nap. It's just, I don't really find I, I don't seem to be able to like want to lay down and take a nap. Like if I have some free time, it's, I would rather do something else than take a nap. Yeah. So I guess snapping is not a hobby of mine. Whereas, um, I have, uh, my sister loves to take naps. She has to take a nap like every day. I don't know if that's for medical reasons or what, what I've never really asked her, but she just loves napping. Just loves it. I guess that's true because some people can have a hobby of foodie or whatnot, someone that just maybe doesn't even make food themselves, but they like to eat food. So maybe that's more like a napper. It's like, it's not an active, like it's a pretty passive thing to be doing, but they really enjoy the pleasure of it. I just don't think, I don't think of, 
I don't know. She, I think she of that as a pastime. Yeah. She just enjoys it. And it's just something that she's always done her whole life. And I don't, I don't know why she does it, but she loves taking naps. Um, and takes one almost every day. I mean, it's not like she, she has a job. She's, she's a teacher. So she works, you know, I don't know how she sleeps, takes, gets in a nap before bedtime, but somehow she does. Life's so short though. It's just, she's sleeping it all away. (laughs) Well, she just likes taking naps. So she doesn't think of it as sleeping away. She must have really good dreams or something. Yeah. That's, that's okay. We're different strokes for different folks. Yeah. And so that you aren't able to take any more naps either. I think we should add a second, a new recipe on top of the things that we're supposed to be doing with the bread. Because isn't that kind of, wasn't that our idea was we'd add a recipe after every show and then talk about it on the next show, unless there's interviews like there was last week. Yeah. I think that was what we had discussed a few weeks ago. Sure. So here's our next one. Okay. Which I just kind of saw right before we started the show. The photo looks pretty enough and water kimchi is what I think we should do beyond kimchi.com. There's a Nabat kimchi and it's a water kimchi goes into what water kimchi is. And I really haven't made all too much water kimchi. And so I feel like this is the perfect time to start. And it's not like it's going to be that difficult for you. I can do it. Oh, I guess I didn't send you the link for that either. So that would probably help. I'm like thinking that you were going to comment on it and then there was nothing. So that is the one that we should do plenty of images. And I don't even think the fermentation time takes that long. And uh, yeah, fermentation at room temperature for two days because water kimchi is not fermented as long, but I am curious to try this water kimchi and also to do some research to see since I have not read this recipe yet, what the difference is, is Nabak kimchi the water kimchi or is it just a water kimchi? Good question. I don't really know that much about. I've never heard of water kimchi, but it. But the pictures, it, I understand what they're doing. Why it's called water kimchi? Because there's a lot more brine to it, and it's yeah. eaten with that as well. Like you, yeah. So that's the that's the one that should be okay. doable. Do you? I will start it tomorrow. Awesome. You're more ahead of, <laughs> than I am because I'm like, okay, when am I going to get some napa cabbage? I'll get it at some point, but I'll get it done. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll at least have it started. And we can um, compare because again, that's kind of the ideas that, yeah. or at least my idea that I'm, I, maybe you have different ideas and that's good because we can both have different ideas, but you know, it's like us being able to do a recipe, we can compare each other's notes and then maybe inspire other people to do these recipes as well. And then be able to compare other people's notes or opinions or previous experience would be even better or just as good. Yeah. Someone can, maybe someone knows a lot about water kimchi and they could tell us about it. Yeah, and also do also look in the the kimchi cookbook that I have as well. That is awesome, and and see what the differences might be and compare them. That's that's uh, that's that's where I've that's all I've got today. Yeah, I didn't really have much time to look up any sort of fermented foods um, in the way of news articles, Did except you... except um, they do the splendid table on. Um, NPR. I think the website is just called the splendid table. Um, they had something about five minute bread, um, how to make five minute bread, but, um, which I started reading and then, um, 
we started uh, recording this episode, so I didn't really get too far into it, but it just talks about if you want to make bread every day, how do you do it to not have a, to that the actual hands-on time just is in five minutes, um, which I think we've talked about before. So do you um, want me to uh, ruin since I listened to that episode as a podcast? Do you want me to ruin the secret for you? You can ruin the secret for me. The secret to five minute bread is to it's it's a batch it's a wet processed dough i mean it's a it's a extra wet dough that just retards really slowly in the refrigerator and can go up to about two weeks and so making a large batch and just having that so a person would be required to have a lot more room in the refrigerator but just make a large batch so then they can make so a person can make fresh bread every day but only have to do the whole process it's a it's a no need bread too so yeah, I want like one big day would be or one day would be to make this big batch. That's I that's where I had got they had mentioned it at the very beginning of the article. Um, and uh, so that's kind of how I figured out I didn't finish reading it because um, we, we started talking. But that's kind of what I figured and where he was going with that. I thought maybe you're going to have another secret. No, and it does, it is given towards the end of that. It does get a lot more sour. So he, the author was on the show and he was saying that it does take on a lot of the qualities of some sourdough breads, which I am curious to know and compare and see how much it would be that way. But I could see at least some of the complexity, um, coming out or the sourness, I guess, more so than anything. It seems like it would still, I still don't think the instant yeast, even sitting in the refrigerator for a couple of weeks would it sour it, but I wonder if it would add, the the complexity to flavor that some slow fermented sourdoughs can can really bring out that are more than just sour. And I would I would argue the best sourdoughs are kind of not the most sour. They're they're they've got all the other flavors, more of the yeast and everything else that kind of that that fills out the flavor as opposed to just sour. Mm-hmm. Although I've made very, very sour sourdoughs when I've let them sour too long. So I I don't know if this would actually work with the sourdough to let it go really long ferment like that. But yeah, that's, it's, I think you should try it too and report back to us. Okay. <laughs> now no, I have I'm, a lot on my list. I'm just, that one can happen at any point. Um, so meat, uh, water kimchi, uh, five minute bread and, and the, country bread. Yeah. You can have that done by next week, right? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, well on that note. Yes, and you can find all the notes for this episode at firmup.com slash podcast slash 56. Or you can find us on Twitter at firmup and on Facebook at firmup or anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.